Letter one of Clarissa Harlowe, Volume four. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Clarissa Harlowe, Volume four, by Samuel Richardson. Letter one. Miss Clarissa Harlowe to Miss Howe, Wednesday afternoon, April twenty-sixth. At length, my dearest Miss Howe, I am in London, and in my new lodgings. They are neatly furnished, and the situation for the town is pleasant. But I think you must not ask me how I like the old gentlewoman. Yet she seems courteous and obliging. Her kinswomen just appeared to welcome me at my alighting. They seem to be genteel young women, but more of their aunt and them, as I shall see more. Miss Sawlings has an uncle at Barnet, whom she found so very ill, that her uneasiness on that account having large expectations from him, made me comply with her desire to stay with him. Yet I wished, as her uncle did not expect her, that she would see me settled in London, and Mr. Lovelace was still more earnest that she would, offering to send her back again in a day or two, and urging that her uncle's malady threatened not a sudden change. But leaving the matter to her choice, after she knew what would have been mine, she made me not the expected compliment. Mr. Lovelace, however, made her a handsome present at parting." His genteel spirit, on all occasions, makes me often wish him more consistent. As soon as he arrived, I took possession of my apartment. I shall make good use of the light closet in it, if I stay here any time. One of his attendants returns in the morning to the lawn, and I made writing to you by him an excuse for my retiring. And now give me leave to chide you, my dearest friend, for your rash, and I hope revocable resolution, not to make Mr. Hickman the happiest man in the world, while my happiness is in suspense. Suppose I were to be unhappy, what, my dear, would this resolution of yours avail me? Marriage is the highest state of friendship. If happy, it lessens our cares by dividing them, at the same time that it doubles our pleasures by a mutual participation. Why, my dear, if you love me, will you not rather give another friend to one who has not two she is sure of? Had you married on your mother's last birthday, as she would have had you, I should not, I dare say, have wanted a refuge.' That would have saved me many mortifications and much disgrace. Here I was broke in upon by Mr. Lovelace, introducing the widow leading in a kinswoman of hers to attend me, if I approved of her, till my Hannah should come, or till I had provided myself with some other servant. The widow gave her many good qualities, but said that she had one great defect, which was that she could not write nor read writing, that part of her education having been neglected when she was young. But for discretion, fidelity, obligingness, she was not to be outdone by anybody. So commented her likewise for her skill at the needle. As for her defect, I can easily forgive that. She is very likely and genteel. Too genteel, indeed, I think, for a servant. But what I like least of all in her, she has a strange sly eye. I never saw such an eye. Half confident, I think. But indeed, Mrs. Sinclair herself, for that is the widow's name, has an odd winking eye, and her respectfulness seems too much studied, methinks for the London ease and freedom, but people can't help their looks, you know, and after all she is extremely civil and obliging. And as for the young woman, Dorcas is her name, she will not be long with me. I accepted her. How could I do otherwise? If I had had a mind to make objections, which in my present situation I had not, her aunt present, and the young woman also present, and Mr. Lovelace officious in his introducing them to oblige me. But upon their leaving me I told him, who seemed inclinable to begin a conversation with me, that I desired that this apartment might be considered as my retirement, that when I saw him it might be in the dining-room, 
which is up a few stairs for this back house being once two the rooms do not all of them very conveniently communicate with each other and that i might be as little broken in upon as possible when i am here he withdrew very respectfully to the door but there stopped and asked for my company then in the dining-room if he were about setting out for other lodgings i would go with him now i told him but if he did not just then go i would first finish my letter to miss howe i see he has no mind to leave me if he can help it my brother's scheme may give him a pretence to try to engage me to dispense with his promise but if i now do i must acquit him of it entirely my approbation of his tender behaviour in the midst of my grief has given him a right as he seems to think of addressing me with all the freedom of an approved lover i see by this man that when once a woman embarks with this sex there is no receding one concession is but the prelude to another with them he has been ever since sunday last continually complaining of the distance i keep him at and thinks himself entitled now to call in question my value for him strengthening his doubts by my former declared readiness to give him up to a reconciliation with my friends and yet has himself fallen off from that obsequious tenderness if i may couple the words which drew from me the concessions he builds upon while we were talking at the door my new servant came up with an invitation to us both to tea i said he might accept of it if he pleased but i must pursue my writing and not choosing either tea or supper i desired him to make my excuses below as to both and inform them of my choice to be retired as much as possible yet to promise for me my attendance on the widow and her nieces at breakfast in the morning he objected particularly in the eye of strangers as to avoiding supper you know said i and you can tell them that i seldom eat suppers my spirits are low you must never urge me against a declared choice pray mr lovelace inform them of all my particularities if they are obliging they will allow for them i come not hither to make new acquaintance i have turned over the books i found in my closet and i am not a little pleased with them and think the better of the people of the house for their sakes stanhope's gospels sharps tillotson's and south sermons nelson's feasts and fasts a sacramental piece of the bishop of man and another of dr gowden bishop of exeter and in its devotions are among the devout books and among those of a lighter turn the following not ill-chosen ones a telemachus in french another in english steele's rose and shakespeare's plays that genteel comedy of mr kibber the careless husband and others of the same author dryden's miscellanies the tatler's spectators and guardians pope's and swift's and addison's works in the blank leaves of the nelson and bishop gowden is mrs sinclair's name and in those of most of the others either sarah martin or mary horton the names of the two nieces i am exceedingly out of humour with mr lovelace and have great reason to be so as you will allow when you have read the conversation i am going to give you an account of for he would not let me rest till i gave him my company in the dining-room he began with letting me know that he had been out to inquire after the character of the widow which was the more necessary he said as he supposed that i would expect his frequent absence i did i said and that he would not think of taking up his lodging in the same house with me but what said i is the result of your inquiry why indeed the widow's character was in the main what he liked well enough but as it was miss howe's opinion as i had told him that my brother had not given over his scheme as the widow lived by letting lodgings and had others to let in the same part of the house which might be taken by an enemy he knew no better way than for him to take them all as it could not be for a long time unless i would think of removing to others so far was well enough but as it was easy for me to see that he spoke the slighter of the widow in order to have a pretence to lodge here himself i asked him his intention in that respect 
and he frankly owned that if I chose to stay here, he could not, as matters stood, think of leaving me for six hours together, and he had prepared the widow to expect that we should be here but for a few days, only till we could fix ourselves in a house suitable to our condition, and this that I might be under the less embarrassment if I pleased to remove. Fix ourselves in a house, and we, and are, Mr. Lovelace, pray, in what light? He interrupted me. Why, my dearest life, if you will hear me with patience, yet I am half afraid that I have been too forward, as I have not consulted you upon it. But as my friends in town, according to what Mr. Dolman has written, in the letter you have seen, conclude us to be married. Surely, sir, you have not presumed. Hear me out, my dearest creature. You have received with favour my addresses. You have made me hope for the honour of your consenting hand. Yet, by declining my most fervent tender of myself to you at Mrs. Sawling's, have given me apprehensions of delay. I would not for the world be thought so ungenerous a wretch, now you have honoured me with your confidence, as to wish to precipitate you. Yet your brother's schemes are not given up. Singleton, I am afraid, is actually in town. His vessel lies at Rotherhithe. Your brother is absent from Harlow Place. Indeed, not with Singleton yet, as I can hear. If you are known to be mine, or if you are but thought to be so, there will probably be an end of your brother's contrivances. The widow's character may be as worthy as it is said to be. But the worthier she is, the more danger, if your brother's agent should find us out, since she may be persuaded that she ought in conscience to take a parent's part against a child who stands in opposition to them. But if she believes us married, her good character will stand us instead, and give her a reason why two apartments are requisite for us at the hour of retirement. I perfectly raved at him. I would have flung from him in resentment, but he would not let me. And what could I do? Whither go, the evening advanced? I am astonished at you, said I. If you are a man of honour, what need of all this strange obliquity? You delight in crooked ways. Let me know, since I must stay in your company, for he held my hand. Let me know all you have said to the people below. Indeed, indeed, Mr. Lovelace, you are a very unaccountable man. My dearest creature, need I to have mentioned anything of this? And could I not have taken up my lodgings in this house unknown to you, if I had not intended to make you the judge of all my proceedings? But this is what I have told the widow before her kinswoman, and before your new servant, that indeed we were privately married at Hartford, but that you had preliminarily bound me under a solemn vow, which I most religiously resolved to keep, to be contented with separate apartments, and even not to lodge under the same roof, till a certain reconciliation shall take place, which is of high consequence to both, and further that I might convince you of the purity of my intentions, and that my whole view in this was to prevent mischief, I have acquainted them that I have solemnly promised to behave to you before everybody as if we were only betrothed and not married, not even offering to take any of those innocent freedoms which are not refused in the most punctilious loves. And then he solemnly vowed to me the strictest observance of the same respectful behaviour to me. I said that I was not by any means satisfied with the tale he had told, nor with the necessity he wanted to lay me under of appearing what I was not, that every step he took was a wry one, a needless wry one, and since he thought it necessary to tell the people below anything about me, I insisted that he should unsay all he had said, and tell them the truth. What he had told them, he said, was with so many circumstances, that he could sooner die than contradict it, and still he insisted upon the propriety of appearing to be married, for the reasons he had given before. And, dearest creature, said he, why this high displeasure with me upon so well intended an expedient? You know that I cannot wish to shun your brother or his singleton, but upon your account. The first step I would take, if left to myself, would be to find them out. I have always acted in this manner, when anybody has presumed to give out threatenings against it. 
"'Tis true, I would have consulted you first, and had your leave. But since you dislike what I have said, let me implore you, dearest madam, to give the only proper sanction to it by naming an early day. Would to heaven that were to be to-morrow! For God's sake, let it be to-morrow! But if not, was it his business, my dear, before I spoke? Yet he seemed to be afraid of me, to say, if not. Let me beseech you, madam, if my behaviour shall not be to your dislike, that you will not to-morrow at breakfast-time discredit what I have told them. The moment I give you cause to think that I take any advantage of your concession, that moment revoke it, and expose me, as I shall deserve, and once more let me remind you that I have no view either to serve or save myself by this expedient. It is only to prevent a probable mischief, for your own mind's sake, and for the sake of those who deserve not the least consideration from me. What could I say? What could I do? I verily think that had he urged me again in a proper manner, I should have consented, little satisfied as I am with him, to give him a meeting to-morrow morning at a more solemn place than in the parlour below. But this I resolve, that he shall not have my consent to stay a night under this roof. He has now given me a stronger reason for this determination than I had before. Alas, my dear, how vain a thing to say what we will, or what we will not do, when we have put ourselves into the power of this sex. He went down to the people below, on my desiring to be left to myself, and stayed till their supper was just ready, and then desiring a moment's audience, as he called it. He besought my leave to stay that one night, promising to set out either for Lord M's or for Edgware, to his friend Belford's in the morning, after breakfast. But if I were against it, he said, he would not stay supper, and would attend me about eight next day. Yet he added that my denial would have a very particular appearance to the people below, from what he had told them. And the more, as he had actually agreed for all the vacant apartments, indeed only for a month, for the reasons he before hinted at. But I need not stay here two days, if upon conversing with the widow and her nieces in the morning I should have any dislike to them. I thought, notwithstanding my resolution above mentioned, that it would seem too punctilious to deny him, under the circumstances he had mentioned, having besides no reason to think he would obey me, for he looked as if he were determined to debate the matter with me. And now, as I see no likelihood of a reconciliation with my friends, and as I have actually received his addresses, I thought I would not quarrel with him if I could help it, especially as he asked to stay but for one night, and could have done so without my knowing it, and you being of opinion that the proud wretch, distrusting his own merits with me, or at least my regard for him, will probably bring me to some concessions in his favour. For all these reasons I thought proper to yield this point, yet I was so vexed with him on the other, that it was impossible for me to comply with that grace which a concession should be made with, or not made at all. This was what I said. What you will do, you must do, I think. You are very ready to promise, very ready to depart from your promise. You say, however, that you will set out to-morrow for the country. You know how ill I have been. I am not well enough now to debate with you upon your encroaching ways. I am utterly dissatisfied with the tale you have told below, nor will I promise to appear to the people of the house to-morrow what I am not. He withdrew the most respectful manner, beseeching me only to favour him with such a meeting in the morning as might not make the widow and her nieces think he had given me reason to be offended with him. I retired to my own apartment, and Dorcas came to me soon after, to take my commands. I told her that I required very little attendance, and always dressed and undressed myself. She seemed concerned, as if she thought I had repulsed her, and said it should be her whole study to oblige me. I told her that I was not difficult to be pleased, and should let her know from time to time what assistance I should expect from her, but for that night I had no occasion for her further attendance. She is not only genteel, but is well-bred and well-spoken. 
she must have had what is generally thought to be the polite part of education but it is strange that fathers and mothers should make so light as they generally do of that preferable part in girls which would improve their minds and give a grace to all the rest as soon as she was gone i inspected the doors the windows the wainscot the dark closet as well as the light one and finding very good fastenings to the door and to all the windows i again had recourse to my pen mrs sinclair is just now gone from me dorcas she told me had acquainted her that i had dismissed her for the night she came to ask me how i liked my apartment and to wish me good rest she expressed her concern that they could not have my company at supper mr lovelace she said had informed them of my love of retirement she assured me that i should not be broken in upon she highly extolled him and gave me a share in the praise as to person but was sorry she said that she was likely to lose us so soon as mr lovelace talked of i answered her with suitable civility and she withdrew with great tokens of respect with greater i think than should be from distance of years as she was the wife of a gentleman and as the appearance of everything about her as well house as dress carries the marks of such good circumstances as require not abasement if my dear you will write against prohibition be pleased to direct to miss letitia beaumont to be left till called for at mr wilson's in pall mall mr lovelace proposed this direction to me not knowing of your desire that your letters should pass by a third hand as his motive for it was that my brother might not trace out where we are i am glad as well from this instance as from others that he seems to think he has done mischief enough already do you know how my poor hannah does mr lovelace is so full of his contrivances and expedients that i think it may not be amiss to desire you to look carefully to the seals of my letters as i shall to those of yours if i find him base in this particular i shall think him capable of any evil and will fly him as my worst enemy End of letter 1